0: Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, December 17, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week. We've got the Legal Eagles, David Levine and Kevin Walsh of Groom Law Group here to break down the recent fiduciary hearings. And then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be here to break down the Federal Reserve rate decision and how markets responded. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. Of BRN Sunday
1: I'll be
2: here when ready
0: we're going to kick off the show with a look at what is happening on Capitol Hill big news this week it was a fiduciary rule hearing here to break down and provide analysis around that David Levine, Kevin Walsh, both are principals with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. We also affectionately call them the legal eagles after the Robert Redford film. At least that's from my perspective. Eagles, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
2: Jeff, thank you so much, as always, for having us. Definitely an interesting week in D.C. D- D- with a virtual fiduciary rule hearing. where The comment period is still going. And without further ado, I figure we should turn it over to my friend, Mr. Walsh, who was there first person and first person testifier.
0: Yeah, Kevin, you teed this up very nicely last week about this um, precedent setting hearing in advance of the actual formal, um, you know, the comment period and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Kevin, I want to get your analysis and perspective. You were right in the throes of things per David's comment reaction.
1: I mean, I think my initial reaction is that the Labor Department did a great job at engaging with those who testified Um, and that, you know, when folks testified and had, you know, ideas that may not have been fully fleshed out, the department did a good job at, you know, really trying to flesh them out to understand what commenters said, commenters were saying. Now, that being said, you know, if they had given commenters more time, if they had done this after the hearing period, um, you know, the testimony may have been more fully fleshed out to start with. Um, in terms of what was said in particular, it, it seemed like the hearing focused on, you know, really two issues. Uh, one is what's the difference between a best interest standard and ERISA standard? And, you know, I, I think that, you know, there were a number of um, consumer group commenters who were essentially pushing that, you know, we have a number of financial institutions that operate in a best interest world, so why won't they just take it on ERISA fiduciary world? And so, you know, it's a, a nuanced discussion, different folks have different views, um, you know, I tried to walk through the statutory differences between uh, ERISA statute and some of these standards. But ultimately, that was one of the big focal points of discussions. What is the difference or what are the differences between the different best interest standards? You know, you've got an, uh, an insurance standard, you've got a security standard, you've got an ERISA standard, you've got uh, a state standard. So what are some of the differences in those standards that, that you know, consumer groups want to see brought over here or that, you know, industry groups think are inappropriate in the, in the retirement space, whether it's plan or individual? Um, The second big issue is, you know, really who should be a fiduciary? Like, what are the outer bounds of fiduciary status? And that comes down to what's investment advice and who's the investment advice recipient that ERISA is designed to cover? Um, You know, industry groups uh, seem to suggest or consumer groups seem to suggest that, you know, the purpose of ERISA is to protect retirement savings wherever it is. um, And that the labor department should have an expansive view of ERISA that, you know, goes beyond employer plans that really captures all rollovers that captures, you know, advice that someone gets uh when they're using money essentially that was in the retirement system at one point. Yeah. Um David you're coming in?
0: Oh no, I go no, I was I I made that a was comment. I, that was me uh, ruining your flow. Uh I'm sorry Kevin, keep going.
1: Oh, no worries. So, I mean and then Industry Group was pushing back saying, you know, ERISA has a as a statute has its limits and while while there is some sympathy for the idea that you know, it's important to have strong regulatory standards for, you know, retirement savings, wherever they may be, if they're in the retirement system or elsewhere. Uh, you know, Congress picked a whole host of regulators to regulate it. And, you know, there's that saying, you know, don't take down fences if you don't know why they're put up. And that there might be some good reasons for why, you know, insurance is regulated the way it is, why securities are regulated the way they are, why brokers and advisors are regulated differently, and that, you know, the labor department stepping in as kind of a uniform regulator might not be appropriate. So, you know, after two days, um a lot was said, a little bit was learned. I wish we had more time to provide comments um but you know I think it was a valuable experience in seeing you know at least the preliminary thoughts of of many groups that are very interested in the outcome of this rulemaking
0: yeah um- Ke- uh, David, I want to flip to you because I want to pull back a little bit and and get, but before I do that, I want to ask just um give you an opportunity. how did Kevin do in this testimony?
2: Oh first of all, Kevin was great. Yeah, that's an absolute given. I also I also know that <laughs> that if I say anything other than that, you're going to get it on like, the back end, right? He's yeah, it's it's like those online ratings things where they yeah. keep saying don't rate us unless you give five stars. So of course I give five stars, and it was truly earned. Yeah, but putting going beyond that, um, as you know, what I often like to do is sort of come back to let's talk about constituencies. Where do we go from here? Because we still have the comment period through the beginning of January. Hopefully uh-huh. it gets extended, but as of now, the answer was no on that. Uh-huh. So you have planned sponsors. What are they to do? Some plan sponsors may want to engage, but I think the lion's share of them are sort of sitting and watching to see where this comes down because admittedly plan sponsors – their full-time job usually is not being planned sponsors. It's running businesses. So a lot of them are watching, watching trade groups and seeing what happens depending where it lands. There could be a lot of contractual changes, a lot of things to deal with, but not yet. It's good to be aware and watching, but not something to just jump right in necessarily for people. I'll call it the intermediaries, the advisors, the consultants for a number of them. This rule could have some real impacts in, as advisors and consultants have taken on more duties, I think some of these changes in here could have a direct impact on them, especially if they're doing thing like, things like managing money or providing services or recommending services in non-fiduciary ways. This could have an impact. I know we've talked to a bunch of people about that. Similarly, record keepers and TPAs, certainly their business models have evolved. They are actively involved, and, I'm, and I know they will through their trades and individually. Some comments through us for all these different groups will be going in. And then, uh, importantly, and definitely not last, is I'll call it the product creators, and some of the people in the fir- in the other two groups before this qualify in there as well. Product creators certainly, insurance is a is a big area of concern given the huge changes there. We've talked about before. They will be very active, as as will people wanting to know sort of distribution and sales. There was a lot of discussion of that, and it's important to be wary. And then, of course, I'll add one one more thing to, uh, is to talk about also, as Kevin said, there's the discussion of wealth management and rollovers, that's really at the center of a lot of discussions here. Wealth management and rollover folks, advisors, and high net worth individuals, advisors. This is very relevant to you. It could impact your business models, and we talked to a lot of people about this. This is something to keep on the radar. So, in short. If you want to comment, now's a good time. But if nothing else, be wary and be watching. Last question for
0: you, gentlemen. And I wanted to just take a step back because last week when we spoke to Kevin, I'll start with you, David. Uh, this was precedent setting in that kind of, I'm going to use my words, but not using his words, putting the cart before the horse, having the hearing before that comment period. Could this be an approach used for other regulation that comes down to the pike? So is this a... Uh, you know, this is more of a hypothetical. Could this approach be used for other rules and regulations that are coming down the pike? If it sounds like the hearings were very successful, not ideal that the comment period didn't precede the hearing, but, but could that be an approach going, going forward based on how this all turns out?
2: I could so, definitely I mean, I, I, see I, I, this. Uh, hey Kevin, I got to go first on this one. You're gonna let me go. Because right. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin loves regulatory stuff. And he I loves know. This. I, yeah. We'll come back to you in a second, <laughs> Ke- Kev. <laughs> <laughs> no, all notes aside. Um, I knew Kevin would want this one. i uh, I'll go very short. First of yeah. all, there's going to probably be litigation depending where this rule lands. You know, people have been talking about that. And that and this could get drawn into it. So this we'll see where that goes. And yes, could they try to use this approach? Absolutely. You've also seen back in the Affordable Care Act with a bunch of other regu- legislation, interim final regulations that kind of just speed and skip through the process and then you get regulations done afterwards. So there are a bunch of paths, but I know my friend, Mr. Walsh, is chomping at the bit, so I will shut up.
0: Kevin, uh,
2: David,
1: yeah, did a great mean, job. I, your, I could, your thoughts? I, I could see regulators using this process. Now, I, I think there's some big minuses to it because, you know, the goal of this this commenting process, the goal of these hearings is that folks can have a meaningful opportunity to provide, you know, their views on on the proposal. Um And it really puts trades in a tough spot. It puts commenters in a tough spot. Uh The hearing was about, you know, 40-ish days, maybe 20-ish business days after the proposal came out. And it's not just suggesting it that you need to do. It's not just figuring out what you want to say. But if you're working with the trade association, you've got a number of members and you've got to make sure that folks are on board with what you're saying. And you've got to get those constituencies. And, you know, if you're only getting it one bite of the apple, it, it seems like it makes a lot more sense to, you know, give people enough time that they can figure out what they're going to say and then give them an opportunity to see what others are saying by their their comment letters. Um, you know, to some extent, it's like a it's like an oral final like a dissertation where you're defending your dissertation. And, you know, if you if you haven't written your dissertation yet, it can be a lot tougher to defend it. Yeah.
0: Well really good point. I, I, excellent analysis in terms of the fiduciary rule hearings, but also, you know, procedurally, could this be the way forward? Gentlemen, we're gonna leave it there. Great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again both very soon. Thanks,
1: Thanks for having us so much. On. Thank you, listeners.
0: Bye, gentlemen. Bye bye. Bye bye. Imagine a new television network. That will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa To the next frontier of retirement and savings, this is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Now, time to talk about markets. A lot going on in the markets these days. Some good news, some mixed uh, signals maybe. Join us on the line to help Mm -hmm. make sense of it and break it all down. Oliver Rennick is the lead anchor for the Schwab Network. Oliver, thanks so much for popping by the program again this morning.
3: Sure thing, Jeff. Appreciate the invite.
0: All right. Well, I mean, you have an open – it's an open, evergreen invitation. When you're available, we'd love to have you. Um, Oliver, I want to get your reaction to the Fed chairman announcement about interest rates first, and we can kind of go from there.
3: Yeah. So no change to rates, which was expected, but what was not expected, including by myself, was the addition of three dot plot high of cuts for next year. So the Fed's projections going forward, we got the update for the dot plot. Uh, some people call it the set. the dot plot. It's easier to think about. It's just where they think rates are going to be. And it gets you to three interest rate cuts next year. Uh, going into it, my mindset was that they wouldn't add more than two, that they would kind of signal one to two next year. The market was pricing in four, going into the event mm-hmm. where the fed's previous indications had zero and the fed put now three cuts on the not a technical timeline not a plan the fed talked down the dots they want you to think that the dots don't matter, but it's like saying "Don't say Fight Club." You know that's where the action goes. Down. <laughs>
0: I can't believe you brought that so that cultural reference into I this. Okay, that from somebody, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, on the show on Twitter, put that out. Oh, there. Okay, that's good. Me, okay, yeah. well, you didn't have to tell us that, but I, <laughs> so I, great. I didn't think a Brad Pitt movie would it. ever make it onto the program. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's yeah, I love it. That's why I'm picking up and running <laughs> with it
3: because that's moved the market an insane amount, and. Um, well, in insane same amount meaning that the market have a very powerful response to it. I don't want to say it's insane, but uh, we saw yields plunged, dollars slid, the stock market rallied. So a lot of these things you expect, if you had known ahead of time that they were going to put three cuts on the dot plot, this was a pretty predictable response. But the fact that they did it was a surprise. And then on top of it, it wasn't just that there were cuts on the dots. It was that Powell just did not change anything in his language whatsoever so there's obviously a shift happening in the mindset of the fed members and the fed chair just uses all the same language that he always has um and the most egregious example of that i believe is when he basically pretty early on in his speech said that we are monitoring for the effects of our policy that we believe we're still restrictive and we're waiting to watch the effects of that this is a framework that he's using that is hugely out of date like not even like it's shocking that there was no updated framework for the way he views quote-unquote restrictive conditions and why they are still looking for lagged effects because financial conditions are loose as they've been in a year Mortgage rates are now below where they were uh, in October twenty-two. Um, <laughs> you've had a big rally in asset prices, of course. Consumer sentiment is very good. The data are strong. Jobs market has steadily softened in the past year, but we're still at three point seven percent unemployment. People are coming into the workforce, and it's very healthy. We had good data this week for retail sales and jobless claims. So the point is that Oh, by the way, we also have a 5% GDP print. Everybody says just ignore that. And it seems like Powell really is. It seems like he's completely ignored all of that, which is a fine thing to do, or a thing you can do if you justify it. But there's no justification for that. If he had said all these things have happened, asset prices have driven, stock risen, stock markets rally, financial conditions have loosened, rates have come down, affordability has gone up. And we are still signaling cuts because we are confident that inflation is going to come back down, and it was a whole supply issue, and we don't want to get in the way of this big refresh in the economy. But he didn't say that. Instead, he if they're actively looking for lag effects, but then they're signaling cuts. So those cuts now pricing in the market are going to naturally eliminate a lot of potential lag effects if there even were any. So the fact that stocks are rallying uh, and the yield curve has been generally stable throughout the week, tells us that this is not an event that's happening because we're about to fall off some economic cliff. This is an event that's happening as the Fed is responding to the uh, drawdown in inflation. And I think it should be viewed as a stimulative growth event, basically. Um, But that's not really how the bond market treated it. So I think it's easier to argue stocks responded the appropriate way, because it allows valuations to keep floating higher based on what bonds did, but I just don't think the bond reaction necessarily makes a lot of sense.
0: All right, so I, I want to ask you to follow-up real quick, but just to preface the to, on the bonds in a second, but just to preface, yeah. I mean this week was a great week for the stock market, and it feels like Powell gave them yeah, everything. Yeah, all-time highs. Yeah, I, I mean 37,000 overflows for the Dow, right? which I know from talking to you that is not the best – benchmark for it as an index. Sure. But I mean uh, that's what we
3: still
0: Yeah, everyone kinda keeps score and you know, I, last time I checked it was like thirty five thousand. So um, but but you bring up so the equity markets reacting quite favorably. Uh, Powell basically gave everything that they that the market wanted. Yep. Let's talk a little about bonds. Oh then the
3: market added on more by the way. Sorry no, to jump the no, this okay. is really important. I forgot. Powell gave the market everything they wanted and then the market Okay, well, if you're going to give us that, we're actually going to price in five cuts. So there are five cuts now priced in for next year. That's what's so crazy about it is that the market is really kind of abusing Powell's leniency.
0: So, so is he almost going to be for? This is a what if, and I hate to go down this road, but is he? And maybe I'll just make this rhetorical. My question is: Is he going to be forced into doing? uh, So he said three. Is he going to be forced into five, or are they going to compromise somewhere in in, in four? But Oliver, I want to go – I just want to pivot back to the bond conversation that you brought mm-hmm. up bonds. How did bonds react uh, and, and treasury yields?
3: Yes, uh, it's a very important point. Yields dropped all along the curve. Bonds rallied, but the – Short end versus the long end actually didn't change that much, and that's really important. They obviously bought the crap out of the short term because that's going to be the Fed's main playground. So if you think the Fed's going to cut, then you start scooping up all of the uh, short bonds and pushing down the yields and all the money market funds and the CDs that people have been running to, and suddenly uh, you're taking money out of that market basically. Um, but anyway, well that's a thought at least. But that's what happened in the short term reaction is pushed down all the short yields. And then because of that, naturally the expected interest rate from the Fed will trickle out down the rest of the curve. That's where it gets into more of a discussion. You know, the further you get away from the Fed's controlled part of the curve, it becomes more of a little bit of a mystery of what's driving that action. Is it growth concerns or, or but you know, is it just uh repricing the Fed rate expectations, you know, five, ten years out? That's definitely a part of it, but what I think was the most important information is that the spread between the 10s and the 2s did not really change at all. We're still basically at the same level we've been at for, you know, we're off the highs of the spread, um, but we are still quite elevated compared to the past year between the 10s and the 2s. That spread is still quite elevated compared to all of 2023, which is an important piece of information, because if you believe the bond market's yield curve tells us something about the economy then it suggests the economy is in very solid shape not nearly as worrisome as it was around regional banks or in the summer when we worried about inflation kind of coming back again or stagflation like yield curve tells us we're in one of the best positions we've been in for the last like 18 months so that's really the most important thing because if that's the case yield curve's right then all of a sudden, pushing cuts next year feels like a stimulus event, which could create some major
0: whiplash
3: for bonds once that becomes obvious.
0: So, Oliver, heading into the last week or two weeks of the year, and there's a, a Christmas holiday in between. We've got New Year's Eve. What, what, what typically would happen during this time in the market? Is it, a, is it a, a slowdown Please in terms sure. of? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah,
3: that, that's the other thing. That's know it's yeah, you're right. It's a slowdown. It's chill. You know, that's the other thing is that there's not a lot of volume. There's a lot of holidays. So the fact that we're supposed to get our first cut in March, you know, a calendar is the you know, crow flies on the count. Cal- I don't know. It's like four months, but it's really like three. <laughs> kind of like more just like three months. Like technically, what it's three
0: and a half, but it's kind of more like I don't
3: know three. Yeah, um, pretty close. Yeah, It's going
0: to be so quiet during the holiday. I feel like we're – January 1st comes rolling around. You'll go, go through the Christmas holiday. We get to New Year's, and then we're going to be talking about rate hugs. That's just my – whatever, my lack you know, base fundamental thought is that, that now all focus is going to be – when we hit January 1st, we're going to be talking about these um, these rate cuts. And Is it going to be three? Is it going to be four? Is it going to be five? Exactly. Um, yeah. I guess you're going to have a lot to talk about on the network. Oliver, we're going to leave it there. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for the – Awesome analysis, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friend. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to. Drop us a line, and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content. Then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest. Another important topic. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget. Roll with the changes.